Okay, isn't that um, a very powerful story that Jesus told? <clears throat> it's no wonder that it's so well known, uh, even by people who are not Christians. They know of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and laws uh, are written uh, in countries, Good Samaritan laws, uh, about an obligation to show love. Uh, but I want to ask you, which person in that story do you most admire? Uh, so, you know, you've got the priest and the Levite. Uh, they were the most upstanding community citizens, weren't they? Uh, and, and as they head down that road, they were probably heading to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. They may have been even involved in leading the worship of God there on that day. Uh, but whatever the case, these respected community leaders, as they see this man half dead in the gutter, uh, they make the decision on the spot. They look around, there's no, kind of, no one watching, and they make the decision to pass by on the other side of the road and turn a blind eye to this man in urgent need of help. Uh, the Samaritan, on the other hand, was despised by many of the Jews. Uh, he was an enemy of the Jewish people, uh, traditionally, and yet he, when he sees his fellow human being lying half dead on the side of the road, he is filled with compassion. He goes up, kneels down, offers costly, decisive care, uh, even pays for this man's rehabilitation. Uh, and uh, it, it just a beautiful example. And so as, as I ask that question, which person do you most admire... Surely it's the Samaritan. Even though it's a provocative thing, especially in Jesus' day, to say a Samaritan is to be admired more than a priest or a Levite, in that circumstance, he showed love in a way that the other two didn't. Yeah? So we admire him. Well, here's the second question. Um, which person is... What's, what's our next question? Which person is least like Donald Trump? Now, the only reason I put this out is because I thought this is, everyone's been talking about Donald Trump, so I'm going to squeeze him in just for a moment uh, in my talk. And it could well be that we're not talking about Donald Trump much in coming days. It depends whether the election was rigged or not. Uh, but it, it seems like we now have a new president of the United States. But when I put this question out there, overwhelmingly people said... The Samaritan, uh, Donald Trump is least like the Samaritan. And it's, it, it's, it's been a sad indictment, hasn't it? Even his most avid supporters wouldn't regard him as a man of good character, as a man of compassion. Uh, he's kind of like um, the leader the American people got. Uh, and he was the best of a bad choice for some people. And so anyway, look, I'm not going to go there because there's a more important question Right? It's very easy to look at another person, but I want, you, I want you to be honest about yourself. Not what would Donald do, but what would I do? Which person is most like me in this story? Um, because what God wants each one of us to do today is honestly evaluate our own lives. Uh, not just point the finger at others, not just whinge about the lovelessness of others, but honestly evaluate myself, but God also wants to bring about a change in our hearts. Uh, he wants to produce in us a genuine, costly, practical, 
urgent love as a character of our lives. And the good news is that God has done all that needs to be done to start that change in our hearts. Um, so what we're, do- what we're doing today is we're in Romans chapter 13. Um, so if you've been with us over the last six months of COVID, uh, we've been working through this letter of Romans. So it's a book of the Bible. It's written to the church in Rome 2,000 years ago, but we've seen just how incredibly relevant it is to our lives today. Three key points, if you're taking notes. Firstly, the debt of love. Secondly, the law of love. And thirdly, the urgency of love. Uh, So let's kick off with the debt of love. And you need your Bible open at Romans 13. So can you have your Bible open? Uh, Really important that even if we've just got devices or whatever, we want to have our eyes, our minds in the Word of God. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now, I don't know if you've been thinking about this passage over the course of this week, but what does Paul mean by let no debt remain except the debt to love? What is this debt to love one another? In what way are you and I obligated to love one another? Now, to understand that, you really need to go back and read the first 11 chapters of Romans. See, because chapters 13 of Romans comes off the back of lots that Paul has been saying. Um, And the first 11 chapters are really about what God has done to take the initiative to love us even when we didn't deserve to be loved. So Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or the next verse says, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. And so what, what you see in Romans, in the whole of the gospel of Jesus, is the love of God is the primary driver, the initiator God comes to us when we were not lovely and he shows amazing, costly love through sending Jesus to die in our place. Um, And if you've read the first 11 chapters of Romans and then you, 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 you think about that question of the Good Samaritan story, who am I most like? And you've read the first 11 chapters of Romans, you realize I am most like the half-dead guy on the side of the road. Um, That is, I was powerless to save myself. I I needed someone to come and rescue me. I needed someone to come and show me love, someone to heal me, someone to make me whole again. Uh, On my own, I was powerless to save myself. Uh, I was talking with the girls um, who were being baptised today, so with uh, Josie and Brooke, uh, and like, they're such lovely young ladies. Uh, and I said to them, look, you're such nice people. Um, why would you need to be saved? Because um, you know, you're just you're lovely young girls. Um, anyway, so Josie said this. She said, I may look like a nice person, um, but that's only the shiny surface. 
There's a lot going on inside when I'm not on my best behaviour that's not so nice. She's a very honest young lady, isn't she? Um, I often want to do what I want, which is not necessarily what my parents or God want. Um, I know what the Bible says is true. I'm a sinner and I need saving. Um, and Brooke said this. Um, Brooke, I was talking with Brooke and her sister was uh, standing nearby, uh, her sister Holly. And uh, Brooke said, I may, I, may be nice and, I may be a nice and loving person, but I'm still sinful. And at this point, her sister Holly was nodding very enthusiastically, which I thought, yeah, anyway, so that's what sisters do, right? I'm, I'm still sinful, so she was willing to step in and just clarify and agree or give examples, I'm sure. But I'm still sinful, so God has provided a bridge for me so I can be saved and have eternal life with him. And so when Josie and Brooke are baptised today, they are declaring publicly their allegiance to Jesus. And so when they go down into the water, uh, it's a symbol that they have Jesus died the death they deserve uh, and they've been forgiven their sin. Uh, they've died with Christ and when, when they come back out of the water, it's a symbol of their new life, the resurrection life that Jesus now has brought them into the family of God with a fresh start. Uh, and so what the baptism symbolises is what's already taken place in their life through the love of Jesus for them. So I just want you to think back to Jesus' story again. So the Good Samaritan. And, you know, we're most, so we're most like the guy half dead, lying on the side of the road. Now I want you to think about that, that story. How would, you, what would you, how would you respond if you were that half-dead guy and this Samaritan, a complete stranger, came along and, and offered such urgent, um, unexpected, practical, costly love? How would you respond to that? Um, you, would, you would just feel like this guy is a legend, wouldn't you? You would be so thankful to this guy uh, in fact, you'd, you'd feel like, I owe him my life. I owe him my life. Now, it's not that the Samaritan ever said, you've got to repay what I did for you. Uh, the Samaritan doesn't give him a bill at the end of the day and say, this is how much it costs, you need to repay in full. But that's not what's going on. But do, do you know what I mean? You'd, you'd just feel like, I owe that guy my life. And... Hopefully you'd go, I want to love other people in the same way that he loved me because I appreciated so much what he did for me. I needed it so much. And if someone else is in that same situation, I want to do the same thing. Now, that's, that's how it works in the Christian life. You know, that's how it works for Brooke and Josie and for all of us who know Jesus. We recognise Jesus loved me so much. He died on the cross for me. He paid the price for my sin that I could not possibly pay. And he doesn't demand that I repay in full. He doesn't give me a kind of a list of here are the things that you need to do now to repay the debt. But how could I not love him in return? Um, I owe everything to Jesus now. And what I want to do, 
What Jesus' love for us should do to us is transform our hearts so that we want to love other people in the same way, with that same kind of love that Jesus has loved us. That's the debt of love. We've been loved so much and we now, we now want to we now want to live out that debt of love, not because we're somehow duty-bound, but because our hearts have been changed to want to love like Jesus. Now I want to ask, have you experienced the saving love of Jesus? Because it is available to every person free. Um, it cost Jesus everything, but he now offers it to us as a gift, uh, something that we receive by faith, by trusting Jesus, by recognising him as our Lord. Um, if, if you haven't experienced the saving love of Jesus, we'd love to help you come to know about it and to receive it for yourself. And if you have, if you have experienced Jesus' love for you, do you feel that debt of love for others? Um, ask God to work that miracle in your heart, that miracle that drives out self-centeredness and fills you with a heart of Jesus-like love. Will you pray for yourself to that end? I'm going to pray for all of us to that end uh, at the end of my talk that God would so do that miracle in our hearts that he would produce in us a Jesus-like love for the people around about us. Now, the passage goes, so that's the debt of love. The passage goes on to speak about the law of love. Um, you see, love was always what God wanted from his people. Even all the laws like the Ten Commandments, at the heart of all those laws is love. So look at verse 9, Romans chapter 13, verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. What, what the law does is it shows us the shape of love. It shows us what love looks like in different circumstances of life. But at the heart of all the laws in the Old Testament was love, love of God, love of neighbour. Now, I think it's really important to take hold of this because one, one thing I've noticed in our society recently is there's a redefinition of love going on. Uh, and so even this morning, I was reading the paper and someone who committed adultery in their marriage was justifying their actions on the basis of love. You know, I've lived in a loveless marriage all my life, and now I followed my heart and did what was true to myself. And out of love, I had to let go of my marriage and chase this other relationship. And it sounds appealing, it sounds convincing. But God's word gives us clarity, doesn't it? That love is not unfaithfulness. Love is not adultery. Love is faithfulness within a marriage relationship. 
Uh, so what the law does is it gives us a shape of love, a clarity to what love looks like. The problem is, until Jesus, no one ever loved like that. Now, you had this law that really that spelt out what a life of love looked like, but you had no practical examples on the ground of a life of love. Um, the religious leaders, they pretended to love. You know, they knew the law. They, they claimed to love the law, to be devoted to it. And yet, the law did not produce in their hearts a love. Uh, they were like the priest and the Levite, um, who on that deserted street, on the way from Jericho to Jerusalem, they see an urgent need, and they look around, no one else is watching. Uh, so I'm actually going to pass by on the other side. For all their claim to obey the law, they hadn't got that at the heart of the law is love. And if there is no love, then all their claims to be law people are proved to be false. But Jesus is so different. He shows genuine love. And you see it in the way he treats sinners and outcasts and children. He is just so wide in his embrace, so joyful as people come back to God. But he's also incredibly courageous in his love. When he died on the cross, as the crowds heaped abuse on him and mocked him, as all the religious leaders ganged up on him and were gloating over his suffering, what kept him on the cross was not, nothing to do with public approval, was it? What kept him on the cross was a, a courageous love for God and for you and me. And he endured it to the end for our salvation. Now, that is an incredible love that kind of culminated a life of love from Jesus Christ to us. And on the night before Jesus died, you remember what he did? He gathered his disciples together and he started washing their feet. Um, and, you know, they were embarrassed, they were feeling awkward but he was giving them an example. And then he said to them, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now, what is strange about that phrase, right? A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. What's strange is it's not a new command. Right? What, what, what Romans 13 is saying is that love has always been at the heart of the law. If you wanted to summarise the law, love one another would be a great way to do it. In fact, that's Jesus' kind of approved way of summarising the law. So what's new when Jesus comes and says these words? It's not the love part, it's the as I have loved you part. Love one another. The new command is love one another as I have loved you. What's new is that we now have a real, practical, concrete example of what a life of love looks like. And in a sense, what, what Jesus is now saying is, yes, the law gives you the shape of love, but imitate me. Love like I have loved you. Uh, and so that's what we're called upon as Christians. Jesus' love saves us. 
from being half dead in the gutter, from being powerless in our sin. Jesus' love saves us, but he also wants to transform us, to make us love like he loved. So on our Facebook um, page this week, on mine, um, I asked a simple question. And the question was, which is most true? Um, My love for others motivates Jesus to love me, or Jesus' love for me motivates me to love others? So have a look. Uh, Is it a difficult question? I, I, I reckon it's interesting throughout the world, a lot of people default to A, it's as if Jesus' love for me is kind of conditional. Of if, I, if I love enough, then Jesus might love me. But have a look at the survey results. Uh, the next, so everyone got it right. right? Well, fantastic. It's just a blue donut. Right? And uh, it's not just about a zero COVID day, but um, Jesus, everyone who filled out the survey, and I suspect many of them were our church members, said, Jesus' love for me motivates me to love others and I'm really thankful that we get that uh, because it starts with Jesus' love. The Christian life starts with Jesus' love for us. It saves us and then it transforms us to love others in the same way. Um, Josie said this. She said, I see the command to love others and I'm amazed that I'm able to do that because of Jesus' work in me. What a lovely thing to hear from a young lady who who gets it. Jesus' love for her motivates, compels, transforms her to love others. So love begins with Jesus. When When he came along and saw my need, he didn't turn a blind eye. He didn't walk around and keep going down the road. He drew near, he came amongst us, and he showed such costly love by dying on the cross in our place. So again, I ask the question, if you have been saved by Jesus' amazing love for you, will you now ask God to transform you so that you love like Jesus' love? And what will that look like in the week ahead? What would it mean for you as you walk out this door, out, out the door, what will it mean in the way you treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? What will it mean in your, in your home and in the street where you live to love like Jesus loved? What will it mean in your workplace or at school or at uni or wherever you are? What does it look like to live a, a love like Jesus in those places? Because Jesus commands us, he gives us a new command, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What will that look like for you in the week ahead? And thirdly, I want to come on to the urgency of love. See, notice verse 11, right? Romans 13, verse 11. Do this understanding the present time. Now, do what? Well, it goes back to what he's been talking about. Do this, that is, love one another... But love one another, understanding the time in which you live. Um, Understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 
So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Earlier um, in Romans, uh, we've heard and wrestled with this kind of um, way of understanding the time in which we live. Uh, We live in this strange time. Through Jesus, we've been rescued from this present evil age, this age of darkness and rebellion, this age that is coming to an end very soon. We've been rescued from that, and we've now been brought into the new age, the age of the spirit, the age of light and life, God's kingdom that will march on forever. Um, And yet, it's a funny time because our, our feet are kind of still planted in this age. Our bodies still experience all the impact of a world of darkness and rebellion, and yet, Our true identity, our home, is now with Jesus in the kingdom, children of God, citizens of heaven. And how do you live in that kind of overlap time? Well, I've summarised it as urgent love. Lives of urgent love or lives of decisive love. Um, And as I've I've thought about this, um, I'll give you an example So my wife, Ruth, is amazing in emergency situations. So if you're in an emergency, you kind of want Ruth uh, around. Um, So I'll I'll give you one story. Um, When um, in our street, every now and then, you know, there's kind of wild parties. And so there's... there's, uh, I won't won't go into too much detail. I'll keep anonymity. But there was a wild party going on up the street. And then we heard this kind of crash. What had happened was some of, uh, some of our neighbours were drunk and one of them had got on a motorbike and had ran up the back of his ute. Um, and, uh, and so Ruth, you know, in a dressing gown, runs onto the scene. Um, I, I, was, I was kind of a minute later than Ruth. I don't know why. I, I might have, anyway, what, for whatever reason, I was late. But by the time I got onto the scene, um, I looked... I looked down on what was going on and I actually felt the, the blood drain out of my head. I thought I was going to faint. It was, it was a, a messy, bloody situation. But there is Ruth, decisive, calm. She kind of took control because you had a bunch of people who were drunk who not exactly knowing what to do, so she was kind of helping them work out. We've got to ring the ambulance. We've got to uh, do this and this. Uh, and... Um, so assessing the situation, instructing others what to do, in a car, like in an urgency, but without panicking. I just thought, man, that's impressive. Yeah, and, and I've seen it a number of times, um, in, and that's what I aspire to, but you want her in the emergency, not, not me, uh, normally speaking. Um, and an urgency without panic, showing practical love. Now, that's an example, but what... What this passage, what God wants us to do is embrace that decisive love in the whole of our lives, right? in the whole of our lives. Um, the world we live in is coming to an end very soon. The kingdom of God is already breaking in. We are the children of that kingdom. So, look at verse 12. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Do you understand the time in which you live? So put aside the deeds of darkness. Get rid of them out of your life 
and put on the armour of light. Embrace a life of urgent, decisive, godly love. Verse 13, "Let's, let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. See, if we're Christians, we don't want to do those things because they are the opposite of love. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, pornography, wild parties, all that stuff is generally done under the cover of darkness, isn't it? In some sort of secrecy or under the cloak of darkness because those things will bring shame into your life and those things are far from loving towards others. If you're a child of God, God want, and if you're a child of God and you're caught up with any of those things, any form of sexual immorality, drunkenness, but even things like jealousy, God wants you to change today. God wants you to take decisive action today. Put aside the deeds of darkness. And what does that mean for you? Uh, If you've gone down that road in the past and there are shameful things in your past, I want you to know there is forgiveness. That's what Jesus died for, to bring you cleansing and forgiveness so that he can... You can put aside the shame of the past. There's a welcome back to the Father. But God also wants you today, having been forgiven, to put those things to death in your life, to put them aside, to to determine with God's help, I'm not going to go down the road of darkness anymore. I'm going to live as a child of God, uh, a citizen of heaven That's my identity, and now I'm going to live like it. So verse 14, rather, he says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. What does it mean to clothe yourselves with Jesus? It is to live like Jesus, and it is to love like Jesus. And he shows us the shape and the character of what that looks like. Um, So... Just to kind of draw things to a conclusion, we started off with the Good Samaritan story. I asked the question, which person is most like you? And I'm suggesting that if we understand our standing before God without Jesus, then we realise I'm like the the guy in the gutter, half dead. I need a saviour. I needed a saviour. And have you experienced the saving love of Jesus? That's step one. Um, Don't don't worry about going on to the transforming power of Jesus until you know the saving love of Jesus. It's available to everyone free. And if Jesus is not your saviour, why not? Um, What's holding you back? Determine to check it out today. You know, I'd love you to come and talk to me afterwards, but we want you to know the saving love and forgiveness and grace of Jesus. But having experienced that, having been saved, then Jesus wants us to live out lives of love, to, to have the debt of love, 
Not that we've got to repay what Jesus did, but because we want to now live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. We want to imitate him. We want to take seriously his command to love one another just as he loved us. And do you realise the urgency of love? Right? We're living in the last days. The, day, the night is almost over. The day is almost here. You're children of light. You're citizens of heaven. So live like it. Live lives of love, not lives of shame. And so will you today put aside the deeds of darkness, confess them to God, put them aside, ask God's help for that, and then talk to a friend to help you on that journey of putting those things aside and putting on the clothes of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Uh, will you pray with me? Oh God, our Father, we thank you so much for your amazing love. Uh, we know we sing about it and we hear about it. But Father, just keep, keep ever before us the extraordinary love you've shown to us through the Lord Jesus and especially in his death to pay, to pay the debt that we could not possibly pay ourselves for our forgiveness. Thank you that you've embraced us into your family. And Father, please now help us to take to heart the command of Jesus to love like he loved. Uh, we pray that we will live our lives knowing that we owe Jesus everything, that we are not having to pay item by item. But Father, we pray that you will so transform us by Jesus' love that we will live lives of love, impressive, extraordinary, divine love. We pray that you will fill our hearts with that. And please help us to understand the urgency of the time we live in, to not get caught up in the deeds of darkness. Help us to put those things aside. Please forgive us when we've gone down that path before. Please help us to take decisive action even today if we're in temptation of those things. Father, help us to stop and put on Christ to live like he lived, to love like he loved, because we are your children. We are loved by you. We are citizens of your eternal kingdom. And the day is coming very soon when that will be all that there is. We pray that even now we will live like your children, that we will love like your son. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.